0: Attention, attention all personnel, it's
1: MASHCAST!
0: Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates, episode by episode, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP ten is returning VIP, General Scott X. Hi, Scott.
1: Hey, it's very good to be back with you, General Kelly. You know, I've been rotated back into the 4077th. I'm sure I'll have to ship out again shortly, but I'm glad to be here while I can.
0: I am very happy to have you back. You are wrapping up season four. Now, you wrapped up season three of MASHCast with me uh, last year. So you're like my own personal Buck Henry. You're like the the guy (laughs) we bring in at the, the end of the season. So I'm very happy to have you here to talk about one of the landmark episodes of MASH of all time. Of course, it's season four, episode 24, The Interview. The original air date was February 24th, 1976, written and directed by Larry Gelbart, his last episode of MASH. Talk about going out with a bang. Absolutely. Uh, So, so of course, Scott, since you've been on the show before, we can get right to the synopsis uh, as as it is. Uh, A war correspondent, Cleet Roberts, has brought a camera crew to the 477 to interview the men and women of the unit and to record their thoughts and experiences. Hawkeye is his anti-establishment best, mocking the Army and its discipline, even cursing at one point right on film. He also propositions best Truman. Klinger talks about the delights of home. BJ talks of missing his family. Colonel Potter talks about what it's like being in command and being so much older than everyone else in camp. Radar mentions his hobbies. Father McKay, talks about how much being here has changed him. And Frank is his usual hardline pro-war pretend patriotic self. When asked if the war has changed him in any way, he answers, certainly not, amazed at the question. Mm -hmm. Colonel Potter discusses his career in the military, but admits that whatever medical advances are made in the war, it is not worth all the destruction, the loss of life, the waste. When asked if anything of value will come from this war, Potter bluntly answers, not a damn thing. Hawkeye, BJ, and Colonel Potter make an extra effort to praise the nurses and how hard they work. Frank describes them as competent, competent. When asked about heroes, Hawkeye says he doesn't have any. Colonel Potter offers up Abraham Lincoln and Harry Truman. In the end, Hawkeye is at a loss for words as how to describe what it's like being here, what they have to do, and war itself. It's crazy. So that is the interview, and obviously the description I've given it is, is sort of bare bones, because this episode, uh, kind of similar to the earlier season episode, Hawkeye, it really is just one long conversation across the different cast members, sans Margaret, of course, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But nevertheless, uh, I mean, this is just, I, no, I don't think anybody argues, this is one of the greatest MASH episodes of all time, probably even one of the single greatest single episodes of any TV show ever done. Would you agree with that, Scott?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, and you had mentioned too that, you know, how Larry Gelbart, one of the series creators, went out with a bang with this one, without a doubt. And and it was a unique episode, but still one that people, certainly watching the mid-'70s, would have been very familiar with. You and I have talked about this, and and I know you and other guests have, um, about how MASH was set in the Korean War, reflecting back on World War II but really, talking about the Vietnam War, and, and I can't help but this the format they used for this episode sort of hit all of those, and, and how it, it really was brought home to who would have been the viewership certainly at that time, and I and I still think it's like that when I when I watch this, I think right away of a newsreel, yeah, you know that you would have seen at that time before a movie the the black and white, and I should mention that too that it was done in black and white, which was the only one of the series that was done that way, and I like probably announced at the beginning of the episode. Um, they said this episode is in black and white. You know? The following so, is in black and white. Yeah, so people didn't think their TV was broken. For <laughs> all you youngsters out there, that kind of stuff did happen back then. Where you know your color may have just dropped out, and you didn't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, and I, I think, I and mean, I, I know, in 2017, Hulu actually had the episode in color. Very, online. it was very
0: strange when I first saw it. I was like, yes. wait,
1: what?" And I saw in 2019, I think it was, they they withdrew it and replaced it with the black and white version, which to me, the black and white works so much better for for the format and the structure of this particular episode.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, Larry Gelbart in the 30th anniversary special, which is like one of my favorite things, Mm. uh, he talks about uh, the the phrase he used, and this is a phrase that I borrowed in other contexts, where he says uh, he felt that the interview episode was artful in its artlessness,
1: Mm, uh, which I yes. think is
0: just a great way of describing it in that it seems to be very uh, blunt and no frills as you mentioned here. Yeah. Yes. With, with the black and white, the sort of bare bones text, um, the hard edits, you know, there's like these yes. kind of, uh, you know, the, it's, it's the kind of edits you would never see in a fictional television show because it would be considered too jarring. Uh, but of course it's meant to seem like it's documentary footage and, you know, For those of you too young to remember, not that I remember the Vietnam War, I was just a child when it was still happening, but if you go back and look at some of the footage coming from the Vietnam War that was making it over to American televisions in the late 60s and early 70s, a lot of it was in black and white, even though most television had switched over to color at that point. You know, documentary footage and, and footage shot on the run like that was still a lot of ways in black and white. So as you're talking about, Scott, Yes, it, the show is ostensibly about Korea, but it's really about Vietnam or all war in general. And so, this while this format had to be jarring for the average TV viewer because they're used to seeing everything in, in color, and the ma- and the credits for this episode are in color. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, it had to be like, whoa! All of a sudden, I've, you feel like you're watching the news now because yeah. you're looking at everybody in black and white. And it said, it it really works. It just works so beautiful. I would love to know whose idea that was. Whether it was Gelbart's, it was, the, it was Gene Reynolds.
1: It was Gene Reynolds. It was Gene Reynolds. Gene Reynolds said in an interview that he he had kind of he had seen some of uh, Edward R Murrow's footage from when he went, and, and I heard Gelbart had said this in an interview I saw too. It was based on what Edward R Murrow went to Korea and basically did this sort of thing during the actual Korean War. And Reynolds said, "Well, we saw it," and I said, "Well, there's an episode for us." And they just kind of put it in a box. And then um, at the end of season four, the first three ep- first three seasons, excuse me, had been twenty four episodes, and the network asked for an extra episode. This twenty fifth episode, so they said, "Well, let's pull this one," and then that's what they used.
0: Huh? Because that's it's interesting. I always wonder how they count those things. Because I count this as the twenty fourth episode, because to me, Welcome to Korea is one show. What-
1: one show, yeah. But
0: I mean, I guess if you're if you're producing the shows, it has to count as two because you want to get credit, you want to yeah. get ne- and uh, you know not to be mercenary, but you want to get paid for the, right. you know because you're doing twice as much work. So I can understand that. Yeah, technically, this is a 25th episode of the season.
1: Well, and, and it's funny how you count it too, because when Reynolds said it, he said in his interview they wanted an extra episode, a 25th episode. When I heard Galbart say it, he said a 23rd episode. We had 22, which, which again, how the numbers are, people are forgetting later on. I don't even know, but, but you're right. You count it as one two-part episode, or is it um, a two episodes that are tied together? I, I don't know. Yeah, D- I, I, different creatively versus production, I'm sure too. Yes,
0: yes. Oh, I can remember. You know, when I was really kind of getting deep into the mash fan, we're getting off the interview a little bit, but it, it, it it's, it's. It, you know it's relevant, in that I remembered reading some articles where they would say MASH did 257 episodes, and I've always known it to be 251. And I was like, wait, but there's six Mashes I've never seen. Like, what, what are we talking about? And then I realized, oh, they're talking about the hour longs count yeah. as one or two or three. <laughs> but that yeah. it, initially I was like, wait, there's there's six shows I haven't seen. <laughs> you know, no, 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 it's just it's all the way how it's counted. So uh, again, it opens with Cleet Roberts, who was a real. Uh, newsman he's a he's a real you know he's a he's not playing himself uh, i like how,
1: I like how they, they didn't even name him in the the like the credits they just called him the interviewer he is the interviewer yes yeah
0: um and uh, as a relevant again to another one of my interests there is a um a if you're a fan of him famous uh relatively famous press conference that Bob Dylan did in the, in the early sixties where, and, and again, not to get too far off field of that, but like off the interview. But, um, in the early days when Bob was being interviewed, reporters were pretty contentious with him because a lot of interviewers were older and they were being sent to interview this guy who, you know, kind of lied through interviews and was all the, and there's one interview. There's one, uh, interview with Dylan where Cleet Roberts is there. Oh, and (laughs) I remember that I, I knew Cleet Roberts from his voice from this episode. So I'm watching this interview with Dylan, and you don't see Cleet Roberts. You hear his voice. And I just went, what? And I was like, that's Cleet. And then they show him for a second. And it's the only time in history that two of my fandoms will ever overlap. I was just going to say, there you
1: have. <laughs> so you're all tight. Which is straight. great.
0: Yeah, I was very excited about that. So uh I also love so the the episode uh, opens right after the introduction with Cleet Roberts. I love the detail of the some of their saltier comments have been deleted. I love Yeah.
1: <laughs> well in Cleet Roberts' voice. He's he's like saying that as he's he's uh, narrating it or whatever too. Like
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh it's just marvelous. Again, it just gives that verisimilitude of like, yeah, well some of these guys you know, probably talk a little, a, little, yeah. a little salty. Of course they do. Of course, I mean, we know who they're talking about. Uh,
1: it's not Radar. Yeah. It's not right. Frank. It's yeah. not
0: Colonel Potter. It's going to yeah. be Hawkeye and Moon.
1: And, and, we, and we should add here, too, in this episode, there was no laugh track. Right. And no, no music. So it was diegetic sound only. Occasionally, you know, you'd be hearing the interviews. Occasionally, you'd hear a, a chopper in the background or maybe a Jeep driving by. But again, all the sound was coming from the story itself. Which Which again, I just thought worked so well here for this the structure of this particular episode, and of course, the shots never change and right. every you know the
0: sh- we the the way we are introduced to either of the any of the characters that's the shot we're getting yep throughout, the, throughout this episode It doesn't Hawkeye's in the mess tent, Raider's in his office, Klinger is in the sort of the kitchen b j is in some sort of scrub room uh Frank is in the swamp, Colonel Potter is in his office, father Mulcahy's in his tent, and i you know again, it gives it that. I could I, I can imagine uh some people might say can we give this a little more visual life but of course you don't want to give it more visual no. life. you want it to look like it looked like they just sat them down and uh and and recorded the the reactions of these people and so we we do we should mention too the format of this in that Larry Gobart wrote the uh questions that Cleet Roberts was going uh, ask to ask the cast members and then he gave them to the actors and the actors were then, it was incumbent on them to come up with answers in the in the style of their character. Now, of course, Gelbart would go back in and probably massage their yeah. answers a little bit because none of these yeah. people, well, except for Alan Alda, none of these people were professional writers. But nevertheless, that's an extraordinarily brave bit of filmmaking to just hand over a good chunk of your episode to your actors and hoping that they're going to come up with something interesting, different, unique. I mean, but that's an extraordinary level of trust you're showing in your actors. But, of course, yeah, MASH had one of the best casts of yeah. any Kelvin show ever had.
1: Well, and, 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 you know, you had said, uh, Gelbart, um, I saw an interview with him, and he said exactly what you said. They sort of wrote, wrote things out. He said he polished some of their responses. He said, then he laughed. He said, I don't know if I made them better or worse. But then, with, and then during rehearsals, he had Cleet Roberts say, now ask some questions that we haven't given to them. <laughs> and they had to again improv again, and then and then they did a third time. When while they were actually filming, he again asked them questions they had not heard before. So it was sort. Of, you'll see some of those now there where there's like these pauses before they answer, and and I, I assume those are the ones where they then improv live during filming. And Gelbart said this was a unique thing. He said we didn't actually have a script until after the program was over. <laughs> we wrote the script afterward based on what the show was, and then he said exactly what you did. He said it was an amazing piece of faith from the from the company you know from the network um uh, for our show to put to put it into our hands. They didn't have to have a script to approve or disapprove or whatever else. We did the show, and then the script came out, so they had a lot of faith that by that time in the show, in the creators in the actors. And they and they and they hit it out of the park as far as I'm
0: concerned. That did not even occur to me until he just said that of course because yeah. of the way it was written, they Improv couldn't submit stuff. it to they couldn't submit yeah. it to the network first, which is unheard of. That's completely unheard of. Good, good luck trying to pass that nowadays. That's <laughs> right. amazing. Exactly. That's a, yeah, here, just trust us that the show is going to yep. is gonna great. work right. Because I mean what happens if it doesn't? Then you got no final well, Episode of the season, <laughs> yeah. uh, man, that's unbelievable. So so Hawkeye. Ta- Hawkeye talks about uh, how everything is painted green initially. He talks about everything uh, the, the, except for the vegetables, uh, and then he says uh, the, the the blood, the blood isn't green. You get a lot of that over here, and we see that later on. And we'll we'll get to it, but like Hawkeye, he kind of toggles back and forth between performing for Clete Roberts and performing for the camera because if he's aware that the camera is on him, and at the same time he's also being very blunt. Like he seems very right. kind of disinterested in making this seem fun. I mean, of course he does, but like he's, he kind of goes back and forth between having fun and kind of making jokes and trying to be entertaining. And he even references that, that he feels like it's sort of like a service that he provides. And then also just being very direct, uh, which again, a, I find that interesting that that Hawkeye sort of takes that tech. Now Radar talks about um, his initial comment is he says uh, one of the tough things about being in the 477th is uh, the, uh, the wooden uh, uh, latrine seats, yeah. which uh, you get splinters and he says, you can't really reach around and take them out yourself. Boy, that's when you find out where your friends really are. Which is- right.
1: <laughs> says too, can I say latrine on TV? Well, let's give it a try. yeah let's find, this, let's find out. Let's find out.
0: He's wonderful. He's very fatherly with with radar. Yes, great. Yes. Um, so then you get Burns, and uh, he says, "You know, I don't see what's wrong with uh, ordering doctors to behave as patriotically as possible." And of course, Clea Robertson doesn't. Patriotism have to come from the heart. And uh, Frank says, "I don't have I don't have that problem."
1: And <laughs> Frank, I mean, Frank's, Frank's bits were hysterical to me. Oh, I mean, they, because they were they were so deadpan but they were so hysterical because they were so Frank where he just doesn't have a clue. Oh, in the,
0: in the right. modern parlance, they are nothing but cell phones, you know? They're yeah. Just, oh, yeah. 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 He has no idea what he's saying and how it makes him sound like a complete jackass. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh yeah. man. Difficult Frank. Yeah. Difficult Frank. Uh, so then you get BJ and BJ has a very interesting observation, which, which I, I like because, you know, we know that Hawkeye there, you know, everyone here's a doctor, but Hawkeye being Hawkeye, sort of dominates the conversation and we know as we've talked about in previous episodes they specifically mentioned in like the more i see you that hawkeye is among doctors first among equals everybody at the Mm -hmm. 477 except for frank is a great doctor but hawkeye's a little bit better than the rest of them because he's he's like gifted he's beyond just a great doctor he's sort of preternaturally gifted and so most of the time, the, when MASH really wanted to confront a medical issue of like morality, they would kind of give it to Hawkeye to kind of be the point man on that sort of issue. But, but there's a line here that BJ gets where he says, you have to understand, I'm not working uh, on sick people. I'm working on hurt young people with essentially healthy bodies that right. have been insulted by ammunition." And first of all, I love that phrase, insulted by ammunition. Right. But I like that BJ sort of makes that moral distinction, saying, I'm not a typical doctor where I'm working on someone with a disease or an affliction or a whatever. I'm working on someone who's normally considered healthy, except part of their body's been ripped away by artillery. And that is a, ve- and for someone of BJ's, uh, feelings about being a a, a healer and you know a member of the medical community. That I, again, the phrase "insulted by ammunition" to me is just a great turn of phrase.
1: And, and it was, I found it interesting too how when he mentioned, you know, he kind of, and, and I'm going to just kind of distill down what he said. But about you know, you may be a specialist, but your specialty is everything. Yeah, I mean, you're an orthopedist, and he said we're a psychologist most days, pretty much all you the know, time, you know, yeah. pretty much all the time. Because there's there's so many different things that come in, we don't have the the we don't have the luxury of having a specialist for every single thing that comes in here because there's just too many things that come in here too quickly all at once.
0: Yeah, Father Mulcahy he then talks about he that he has the the corner market on being, uh, you know, the, the chaplain. he says, uh, And he says, uh, you know, I, I I, don't mind. I don't pack them in, but I, that doesn't bother me. And he says, there aren't too many of us over here. They were spread a little thin, although they spread everything over here. I I mean, it makes sense for Father Mulcahy to say that. But at the same time, you are like, we already know how few people go to Father Mulcahy's services. So right. why would they ever need a second person at MASH to yeah.
1: test this? I, mean, I kind of felt like he, he was almost lamenting the fact that there wasn't a need for a second. Yeah, yeah, because of what you just said, but trying to to frame it in a way that didn't sound like that, which I liked, which I yeah. liked how he how he approached that.
0: Yeah, Colonel Potter asks about. Uh, he's asked about. Uh, do, does everyone here see who was a father figure? And he says, I suppose they do. That gets to be a pain in the beep too. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. And I love it. He goes, excuse me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is great. And it's so funny that the saltier comments have been deleted. The first salty comment does in fact come from Colonel Potter. Right, exactly. It's just very funny. Um, I mean, look, everybody here does a great job, but I mean, I, there's something, uh, Harry Morgan, I really totally brings
1: it. Really I, wrote the, I wrote, I wrote the same thing in my notes that I thought his, his bits, like I said, where I said, Franks were hysterical. His overall were just they just, he just nailed it. Yeah. He just nailed that fatherly commanding officer and having been sort of a sort of an old war horse and yep. he and his how he emoted in his facial expressions without it always coming through in his voice, but it did come through in his voice too on occasion. You know, yeah, it, it was really well done.
0: Yeah, he's, he has he has this very war uh, world weary tone to him. Yes, uh, which is perfect. And he sort of again, it's it's like Hawkeye in that he's he's him and Hawkeye. I mean, I don't know. I, they're all aware of the camera, of course, but it feels like Potter and Hawkeye are the most kind of aware of that 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 they're being filmed and that this is going to be seen by people. And they seem yes. to, they seem to take again, like a, they toggle back and forth between talking to Cleet Roberts and forgetting the cameras there and then actually being very aware of like, okay, yeah, there is an audience here that's, that's watching this. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Clinger talks about, uh, Clinger is, I love the way sort of Jamie Farr presents, uh, you know, characterizes, you know, Clinger here in that Clinger is still essentially kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Yep. Uh, and 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 all of his memories are about the great stuff that he has back home and, you know, and he talks about Tony Paco's, you know, and. uh, Makes our first of what, six or
1: seven appearances. We hear Tony Paco's. Yeah.
0: Tony Paco's greatest Hungarian hot dogs with chili peppers, 35 cents and a cold beer. Like he's he's so excited. Like Rose Bohemian (laughs) and Alverso cigars. Like he's doing a bunch of advertisements for people, but it's really charming because you were like, that's just what, that's where he is. You know, he's, he's still back in Toledo enjoying all those things.
1: And, and I found it interesting, and, 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 and again, sort of it is the production choices too, um, but, but you know, Klinger was Klinger. He wasn't wearing the, the female garb. He was not putting on the show about, you know, trying to get out of the army, which of course, if it was a real interview, that all would have been cut, of yeah, course. Not, yeah, he I mean, would never appear. That would never this, have yes. flown and, and made it past the military censors. But I like that too, that we got to see Klinger, like you said, as Klinger, the happy-go-lucky just, it, it was his person, who he was. And it's almost the that's the way Klinger
0: deals with being at war. Is he just his yeah. body is in Korea, but his mind is in Toledo? Yes, and that's yep. what he talks about. Absolutely. I mean, he does. He will comment on some other things about what's actually going on there, but he really is. Again, he's so uh, enraptured with the, with his town. And so Radar talks about uh, his earthworms, uh, <laughs> raising his earthworms. I love when he says. Uh, they, they need a lot of dirt. Is this too technical? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robert's just like, no, 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 no. He's <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> just very nice about it. And uh, and then he talks about the cockroaches that he's got. And, and then uh, that leads to back to Colonel Potter. And it and it leads again to one of my favorite exchanges where he says, uh, you know, is there developments in the way of medical or technical developments? And then Potter says, yeah, well, there are some things to get a practical trying out here that you wouldn't do back home. But he says, when you, counterbalance the frightful uh, by the way frightful is a wonderful uh, yeah. term frightful expense the frightful destruction the loss of life i don't think it's an equal balance and you get Cleve robert saying "Do you see anything good coming out of this and potter without a hesitation just goes not a damn thing and then he catches himself looking in the camera like he's mad at himself mm-hmm. that he let it slip that that much yeah. but i just i love that that's his and that's his honest reaction you know, not a damn thing. And, uh, it's uh again, it's just really right.
1: marvelous. And, and that's the interesting kind of uh, juxtaposition there. I think Klinger mentions it, too, about, you know, you back home call this a police action.
0: Yeah, over here. As if we're
1: out here writing tickets and, mm-hmm. you know, pulling people over. But what's going on here is killing. It, yeah. It's war, you know.
0: He says war is just killing. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just, again, that's something else that they would... They would hit on in later uh, seasons of Klinger that Klinger's objection to being at war is he doesn't want to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be involved in killing. There's a, there's an episode in season six where he talks to Sidney Friedman where he says, I don't want to be around when someone is killed and I don't want to be the one doing it and forget it. If that, if somebody makes me do it, forget it. That's it. I'm done. And I like that that's Klinger's moral objection. It's not right. so much uh, one of fear, which would be completely right. understandable anyway. Or political or so political, it. Right. but it is it is a moral. It almost right. is like a conscientious objector kind of thing, where he's like, yeah. "I just don't want to be involved in the killing of people in any way." Uh, and I I like that that you know he has that distinct take on it uh, <laughs> as opposed to some of the other people. You know, we know Frank, who's perfectly happy with with all the death and destruction that he that are around him. So then Hawkeye talks about. Uh, you know, uh, getting bombed, uh, you know, getting hit. And he says, oh yeah, they bombed the crap out of us a number of times. Uh, the beam shake and the dust falls in your patient and it's, it's not nice. And um, and then he talks about fear. And it's one of the few times that they actually do sort of like a push in where he says, sometimes the beginning of the night, sometimes before dawn, and you wake up and you realize that you're not sleeping and you realize it's because the cot is shaking. And he said, you start to realize when you think about where you are and what could happen to you, it's a, it's a great monologue of Hawkeyes in that. Yeah. When you think about how you're, you're sitting somewhere that could be bombed at a moment's notice and you'd never know it. I mean, hospitals aren't supposed to be bombed, but they do, right. They they have gotten bombed and think about all you're sitting in is a canvas tent, a couple of miles away from where bombs are falling. And it's like, yeah, I mean, at some point you have to get used to it, but. What a terrifying thought.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Then, you know, they have, they have their fear for their own safety while they're trying to protect the health and safety of the people that are brought to them because they're, they were injured or whatever during the actual combat. They're not supposed to be in combat, but, but they are still on the edge of combat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, how, and how do you, how do you
1: separate that at some point?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clay Roberts, S. Hawkeye, how do you have morale? How do you keep your morale up? And he says, you really don't have morale here. What do you have, pure survival instinct? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and then he does that bit about where everyone uh, has that glazed look. And he says, you know, uh, everyone has their own problems, which makes me think of the time that, that Hawkeye walked naked in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the mess tent because him and Trapper were having the argument nobody about will that. notice. Everybody, yeah. nobody will notice. Everybody's a cipher. Everybody's zoned out. And so that's, I feel like that's a reference to that where he's like, he's doing this yeah. to kind of just, shh, you know, as he says, uh, I think he refers to himself. as like what Bob Hope, Brilton uh, Burl does for people. Right. So they just can't believe it, you know, <laughs> Yeah. which I think is is great. I love the idea. They just, he's looking at it like it's a, a public service. Um, so then Frank gets asked, uh, well, has this whole experience changed you in any way? Certainly not.
1: He yeah. <laughs> shakes his head. Yeah. How, yeah. how could it not i mean i mean
0: <laughs> what a ridiculous question you're asking me
1: yeah exactly uh,
0: so then hawkeye talks about uh, yeah there's so much more here to care about and then he says on the other hand i really don't give a bleep whatever what happens yeah. you know i just don't just don't care anymore and uh, then he has a, a, another great line where he says i have seen so many people to whom killing is a casual thing and yeah. the the line is he says i don't know how we manufacture people like that but it seems like we'll never run out of them. And I mean, we're living with that today. You know, we're living with that right now. I I, I will I, I will admit, like on my my Twitter feed, uh I will find a certain strain of person that I just block automatically because they're awful. And I will admit, after like the fiftieth person in a row who's awful, I get tired because I'm just like, God, how many are, <laughs> yeah. are these people there? How many more of these people? How many more people, you know, insulting Simone Biles <laughs> can I tolerate? You know what right, I mean? Right,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> it's like, God, these, we don't run out of these people, you know? Um, but I just love, the again, the turn of phrase. I don't know how we manufacture people like that. And he's sort of saying, as an American society, how right. do we keep cranking out people like this? He's sort of It's sort of like a collective. It's like, a, you know, a, it takes a village kind of thing saying, we're all at fault to a certain extent that we're creating people like this. And just the idea of a manufacturer, which brings up the image of cars on an assembly line. And, and it's again, it's, uh, I, I have to assume that's Alan Alda's, uh, line. Uh, right. and it's just fantastic.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and again, that's something I think that, that is, is so interesting. Again, I, I wish I, I wish I knew which things were the scripted, which were the improv, which were the second improv. Because I just, I find all that fascinating.
0: Yeah, and, and right. Yeah, because, that'd be great to know. And, and how they're
1: doing it in their character, but you know, their real person seeps into their character as, as any show that that's ran as long as this did, that they, they, they're, who they are, uh, informs their character and then their character begins to inform them, I think, as people too, you know, when you're, you're seeing these things and thinking about these things and how would they respond and how would i respond and how is it written and what's going on in the world and and all again this episode i just can't rave about it enough because it hits all of those points i mean it really hits them all
0: yeah i would imagine you're playing a character every day for for some of these people 8 9 10 11 years how does it not start seeping back into your personality i mean how can I you asked
1: know? i asked an historian uh one time who i have great respect for and uh, we were talking about and this uh, this is a little bit of a tangent but but the the there's the so-called ephemera, like when you have wood carvings or photographs of of war and, and you know, images like this. And what we were talking about, um, well, what did people do with these when they bought these, and whether it be the 19th century or the 20th century? And then my question was, well, um, when they're put out in the public media, are they influenced by the public opinion or do they influence the public opinion? Because they're obviously trying to sell something. People aren't going to buy what they don't want to see. But at the same time, when you see certain images, like like an interview like this would be, it can't help but influence your thoughts on that event either. And of course, the answer is it's both. <laughs> it influences and it's influenced by. Yes. Yeah, and, and and you know, and, and I think the same thing with sort of this acting when you're when you're when you're thinking about these in a certain way, it can't help but work both ways.
0: Yeah, completely. Uh, Father Mulcahy has. He, he gets probably the least amount to say in the show, but he gets one of the most memorable lines where he talks about uh, what it's cold and uh, the yeah. doctor will open a patient and the steam rises from the body and he says the doctor will warm himself over the open wound and then he begins to sort of tear up and he says, can anyone look at that and not feel changed? I'm and change. uh, as we know, that line is real. That's from a surgeon that Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds interviewed where that literally happened and they just took that line and gave it to Father Mulcahy,
1: and 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 that one is often cut in syndication. Jeez, and, 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 <laughs> I, and I always think that. I mean, how, I mean, I know it's got to be hard to choose what to cut in syndication, but to me, that is one of the lines of this episode. Is that because that's so? It, it is. It is metaphorically and literally visceral. Yeah. Yeah. You know.
0: <laughs> couldn't cut the stuff about the earthworms. Maybe <laughs> like, <really?
1: laughs> come
0: on. What, what are you doing? Um, and that's the act break to the show. Uh, that's the end of the first act. And then we come back and then Hawkeye has another bit about where he, I love the bit about so many people thought they could tell me what to do. That was really surprising to me. Uh, I love that idea. I mean, people that, uh, that are easily, that easily fit into um, uh, structures of p- power structures, probably don't really have that idea in their head of like, you know, isn't it interesting that there's a bunch of people who feel as though they can tell you what to do?
1: Well, particularly you know? in the military, the military <laughs> is based on that. Yes, yeah. Follow orders. And and Colonel Potter makes a comment about that too. You know, these are not soldiers.
0: Yeah. They're doctors. they're doctors.
1: And he, and he makes a comment too about that. Not so much about following orders, but again, about that structure and how they, they view things differently. And does he, as a military man who is a doctor versus a doctor who's in the military and how that comes into conflict sometimes.
0: Yeah. I just, I love the way Alan, just the way he says it's so many people thought they could tell me what to do. He just (laughs) so he's almost charmed by it. Um, So then, uh, then uh, Cleet Roberts asks about uh, uh, what kind of, what are the kind of people that you, you uh, work with and uh, both Hawkeye and BJ and Colonel Potter make, uh, make pains to talk about how great, the nurses are. Uh, yeah. BJ says under under every circumstance, bitter cold, horrendous heat, literally under the gun. They don't, they, and says uh, Colonel Potter said so they don't make nurses better anywhere. Maybe it's not the best way to phrase that. And then, of course, the button on it is competent. Competence. Competence. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and, and, of course, in the episode, um, we never got to hear any of the nurses interviewed because no. Margaret would be the one we would have interviewed, but she was She was off doing the play on Broadway during this point in the production, so she was not there. So she wasn't interviewed, which is a real shame um, that we didn't get Loretta Swit her contributions to this. As far as um, I I would have loved to hear her her improvisations and stuff. And um, Larry Gelbart years later did actually write a piece for Margaret. Um, that, that would have been part of this episode, or how he envisioned it being part of this episode, which was fa- a fascinating read in and of itself. He also did other ones that wouldn't have been in this episode, Colonel Blake and uh, Trapper, and and, and who if, if they if how he envisioned them being interviewed by the Cleet Roberts character. But Margaret to me is the one that we really missed out on, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, this is 1975, and, and television production being what it was. Mount Margaret was, excuse me. Uh, Loretta Swit was off doing same time next year. Yes, uh, which ironically enough, uh, Alan Alda would end up doing uh, as in well the movie. in the movie. Um, <laughs> yes, but in Telvin production, being what it was in 1975, it was not easy to kind of get people back and forth the way it would be nowadays. But it and and of course they didn't know it when they were filming this episode at the time. We know it in in retrospect. But you look at it, you say, "Man, it it's a darn shame they didn't recognize." This one is going to leave a mark. Yes, you really got to get Loretta Swit in on this. Can we figure something out? Right. Can we? Sh- can we build a tent? in her dressing room right, right, and right. shoot that and just you know, j-
1: crowbar it in. Like, well, and like you really you said, don't want to have Margaret not be in this one. No. And like you said, I mean, it was, a, it was a one shot piece. It wasn't like you were moving around and I, mean, yeah. I would have hoped, but, but again, like you said, that it was a different era. I mean, now they would have just green screened it and had a photo of her tent behind it. And it would have done had kind i of yeah. set the camera there. And like you said, on your off day, we're doing this and move on. Well, it wasn't that day, but I did want to read just a little portion because we talked about the fact how they were mentioning the nurses, but we never got a female perspective in here. So there was one line that Larry Gelbart wrote for Margaret, and I'm just going to give you a, a, the interviewer question and what Margaret responded because I love this. And the interviewer says, um, it's essentially a man's world, wouldn't you say, this business of war? And Gilbert had Margaret's response as getting into them seems to be. <laughs> which, Which, again, we get that female perspective on that on that note to which i thought was 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 funny and that's i can see Margaret a delivering that perfectly too i could yeah. see her oh completing that
0: yeah that's a, that's a that's a great line yeah it is a it is a real shame that margaret is not in this because it does feel a little a little incomplete
1: uh, yes great word for that incomplete because yeah. she just yep. does you know
0: she she needs to be here she missed out a lot of episodes in season four and again she's, and she's think- very very nice of the the producers to let her off Absolutely, do the play. I mean, I could see a lot of maybe hard, more hard asses saying, "No, you, this is yeah. your first responsibility is being here on the
1: show." I think, and I think you'll you know better than I do. I'm sure, Rob. I think this was the last episode in which she did not appear.
0: Uh, well that's an interesting thought. I haven't really thought of it. You're I, probably I think, right.
1: I think this was. She appeared in every other episode after this.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, again, I'd have to go back and. But you're right. I mean, Hawkeye, the 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 solo Hawkeye episode. We've already passed that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that might be it for this. Is after that she's in every she's in every one. I mean, again with the with the departure of Frank, she gets a lot more to do, right? Uh, On her own, especially.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it. It was so funny when I I think the first couple times I ever watched this episode, I don't think I really noticed that she was gone. Not not in any way as a slight to to Loretta Swit, obviously. But this episode is so brilliant that you just don't. I don't know. You don't think about what's missing. No, you're engaged later you're engaged. Engaged. oh
1: wait yeah. yeah you're engaged in what is there yep instead of what's not because yep. of how the episode was brilliantly constructed conceived and, and done so yeah totally um
0: so then uh, Cleet Roberts asks uh Hawkeye about being at war and he says uh you know what about uh, Ernest Hemingway in his reports from Madrid and I love uh again Alan all gives that warm kind of smile as uh, Hawkeye and he says I used to love Hemingway because he wrote so well. And then mm-hmm. his face kind of turns. But now that I'm here, I can't understand why anybody would willingly go to a war, would go with enthusiasm, uh, would would want to be there while it's happening. And he says, I'd do anything to get out of here. And, you know, again, we, you know, to me that recalls the line that he said earlier about how we manufacture people like that, because there's a phrase that we have in the, in the modern culture, which are like uh, the keyboard brigade. You know, those are people that uh, root on war, uh, They, especially American war, but they themselves are never going to serve. But they're really happy to go online and tweet about it, you know, and it's that kind of same thing of like, oh, yeah, war sounds great. Well, why don't you go over there and do it? Well, no, not me. Oh, yeah. well, that's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> you know?
1: well, and, and I also think because they sort of wrote in there a generational thing, too. About how, again, this was speaking really about the Vietnam War in Korea, but, but, but Colonel Potter had comments too about, well, when I started, I was in the cavalry. That was exciting. You know, very romantic, it was about this exciting romantic and how his generation viewed that differently than did the Vietnam generation. Yep. You know, th- that sort of excitement or, or glory type of thing just wasn't necessarily integral in that later generation as compared to what it would have been uh, maybe in the first half or, well, that was sort of the first half, but in the early part of the 20th century. And, and, how, and how even Potter, uh, we, as you mentioned, had sort of changed his mind about that. Um, once he was there, uh, maybe that excitement is, is a little bit dulled by all the other stuff that goes on there.
0: Yeah, completely. Uh, then Cleet Robert asks everybody about the heroes, and mm-hmm. Hawkeye just says very dismissively, no, no, I don't have any heroes. Which is very interesting because you would think that he would have named his father. He clearly really idolizes his father, uh, and I and I almost think that Hawkeye is saying that to kind of make a point, a little bit, just sort of yeah. like I'm just sort of demoralized. No, I don't, I don't, I don't go for anything as romantic as having a hero.
1: Well, and and again, I think again, you thinking about the war era, you know, Eisenhower was a war hero, becomes president. You have all these people that were generals or, or in the war that were considered heroes. So to me, that's again illustrating that the people you think are heroes are not heroes to me because I don't. I'm not in for this war thing. Uh,
0: then uh, Potter talks about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, uh, and, and he says, <laughs> uh, "Yeah, your favorite." Uh, that's how you got into the network was through Abraham Lincoln. It was, talks, it was. He talks about Abraham Lincoln and he talks about the compassion that he had, and he says he would have been a great doctor. Uh, and he, and then he talks about the, that uh, these are and Harry S. Truman. He says these are you know they made the decision. They didn't try and weasel the decision. Great, great. Again, another great turn of phrase weasel the decision. And he says, and they did it and they took responsibility for it. Again, we have to wonder what Colonel Potter would think of some of our modern leaders. Yeah. Uh, and, living and, living in a world where he had a president who literally said, I don't take responsibility for it. Like,
1: and, 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 I, and that was a striking line for me, too, about, about the taking responsibility. They made a decision and they understood that. And, and, he, and he mentioned Truman as well. Buck yeah. stops here as being a hero of his, of taking that responsibility and not trying to pass it off or or just not accept it or, or deny it or, or whatever. I, I, I did I did have to mention, too, about Potter, when he was talking about that, too, he had mentioned about, again, sort of this idea of the heroes of Douglas Fairbank and Franks, Francis X. Bushman. Hmm. Well, that was a piece of trivia. Francis X. Bushman was Harry Morgan's wife's grandfather. That's right. <laughs> and Bushman was a silent film star. I mean, he was in Ben-Hur... Um, and a lot the of original, of that. yeah, the original, the early, the silent uh, version of Ben here, not not the Charlton Heston Ben, here, but but so I, I, again, I just I just love that how they weave little things like that into, too. <laughs> um, I just I, that's again, I just love this episode for things like that as well. Yeah, that's it's a good. It's, if, if you and know you know, it, I like silent films. You know, we, we that's did, right. We, we also did uh, Wings on on uh, uh, film over of film
0: and water. water. So. That's right. Um, and then uh, Frank asks, uh, he's asked about what does he think about General Eisenhower. And, uh, he just goes, well, he's a general. And you know, I love, I love that Frank has no insight, no thought. It's just, it's rank. It's, that's all he knows. Said, well, of course I respect him. He's a general. That's, I, I have no opinion on my own, but I, I, it's only because he's a, ge- that's his, that's his only observation is that he's a general. Yeah. Well, no
1: shit, Frank. Well, I, yeah. I wrote, I wrote, I think he asked him, what do you think of president Eisenhower? And he that's says right. he's a general, which again, for the exact reasons you said, which was a Frankism, without a doubt. Well, president, so what? He was a general. Yeah. But the other thing was, this is one of those fuzzy mash timeline things because yes, at the beginning he says we're in the second year of the war. Cleet Roberts says, but Eisenhower really didn't become president until into the third year of the war. <laughs> and it was the previous, in 1953.
0: And in the very previous episode, we just covered deluge. Harry Truman is still president. They talk yeah. about it there, even though Eisenhower is president. During the late Captain Pierce episode, the beginning of season four. So they, yeah, 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 they did not keep that straight at all.
1: No, which which you've mentioned so many times in the past. But I just thought, yep, that right, as Rob always said, they're a little fast and loose sometimes with the timeline of of or chronology of where things go. There.
0: Yeah, you you would think being able to keep track of the presidents would be easy enough <laughs> to do, but but okay, I mean, but, you know. but
1: I guess I guess the whole point of what they were saying, they just decided took precedence over over little
0: things like that. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. Uh, Radar talks about, uh, I love uh, Gary Berghoff's take where he talks about uh, meeting some of the Korean locals and he says, you know, sometimes we just have enough to ourselves, like penicillin and he says, I really wish some people would tell back home this and he, when you have to look these kids in the face, that's where it's really at and I love that he almost is brought to tears. Uh, That that, I mean, that's where the ball game really is when you have to look these kids in the face here and again, it's the idea that that really bothers radar that he can't help other people, a very radar kind of gesture yeah. that bothers him that he can't help the locals. And it's the, the way Gary Berghoff's voice kind of goes up just, I'm doing an awful version of it, but you know, yeah. he, his, his voice gets up a little bit. Yeah. It's, you can tell that he's getting genuinely upset having to even discuss it.
1: In in that, and kind of tie into that, that was one of the things that when Gelbart wrote that interview, Margaret she makes he asked a question and she makes a comment about when you have to look down into the face of the soldier on the table and you know you almost you have to build have this barrier where you're just you're operating on them but she said but you also remember there's someone's dad or someone's father or someone's son they're a person that's in this situation and how moving that is and and the weight that you have to carry because of that and, and again, sort of that idea of asking people back home to not forget what these these people are sacrificing here. And they are, they're people. They're not just soldiers. They're people. They're somebody's, again, brother, father, son, whatever.
0: Frank is asked about who he misses back home. And he, initially, <laughs> he's stuck for an answer. Uh, and then he finally realized, oh, my family, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah. They're my strength, which is, yeah. you know. And then he, he releases the wonderful Beaumont, uh, yeah, I believe that marriage is the headstone of American society.
1: Yes. Perhaps cornerstone <laughs> should have been a better word, Frank, but the word headstone totally is in your character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: completely, yes. That's exactly a Frank Burns kind of thing. Uh, Hawkeye talks about that he misses, uh, bacon frying and pancakes. He, the smell of bacon in the morning, uh, in a long time since I smelled that. Uh, Potter mentions his family. BJ mentions, uh, uh you know, his wife and Klinger talks about, you know, Tol- uh, talks about Toledo again. And then uh, Radar talks about the, he wants to, uh, he wants to see his mom. Yeah. That's what he talks about. And he says he's getting the, he's got this 41 Chevy that yeah. he's fixing up a, na- a neighbor swapped me from one of our pregnant sows. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, and then he said, you know, it takes however long to, to get to, to, to the TV, you know, it's it's one hour by foot and two hours by car. Yeah, <laughs> he said it by that forty-one forward. <laughs> that's
0: a that's a yeah, that's a marvelous joke. I just love that. Yeah. To one to one hour by foot, two hours by car. Yeah. Um, he uh, Cleet Robert asks everyone to say hello to someone back home. Which uh, I which I think
1: to me, I'll let you go, but I want to say to me, each of those people's bits was a total encapsulation of their character. Within a few lines. Yes. I, I thought those bits were so good by who it was they wanted to address back home and how they wanted to address it was their character right there. Just a perfect big guy.
0: Yeah. I love that BJ looks right in the camera and yes. talks to his wife. Hello, yes. darling. I miss you. And then he gets immediately embarrassed. Em-
1: embarrassed <laughs> and, and, and almost like moved by, by that too. Yeah. You know, like, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that, uh, and then Radar says, uh, uh, I miss you and I love you. Is this too personal? Yeah. <laughs> is this too personal? Uh, Potter has, he says, there is someone, but I just don't think that's dignified. Dignified. Though yep. I won't do it. The commanding um, officer. Commanding yep. officer. Uh, and then Frank has the line about, oh, I don't have to say hello. I know how everyone feels about me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We all know how
1: everyone feels too, Frank. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then uh And Hawkeye, he's so oblivious, again, yeah, right, yeah. in his character. Yeah, exactly. Hawkeye decides, instead of saying hello to his dad, he uh, decides to address Harry Truman and wonders why yeah. uh, Bess has not written him back yet. <laughs>
1: yep, the sarcastic comic right there. That's that's him, yep. I, I think I always... And, 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 and sort of th- anti-authoritarian in its own way, too.
0: Right, yeah. I always assumed that, that they were sort of... Hawkeye was sort of cheekily saying that he's written kind of like dirty letters. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, that, to the best impression term. of that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's what didn't, didn't Robertson says, well, I think it's, maybe it's because she's so moved. She just yeah. hasn't, you know, hadn't taken the time to respond yet. I, I love think. that. He goes along with it.
0: Maybe she's yeah. too much to respond. No, I don't, no, I don't think that's it. I, I, I don't think she <laughs> likes me. He's very, <laughs> I love that's great. Um, and then, uh, then he asks him, do you think that each uh, he, one of them? Are you going to, uh, see these people?" Again. And uh BJ talks about that he would love to. He loves the people, but he also wants to erase uh everything uh about this place. And then Potter gets a little wistful and talks about how uh that he's very close to some of these people and he would he hopes he'll keep in contact with them. And then Cleve Roberts follows up and says, Do you think you will? And that's when he kind of puts his head down and he says, Well, I'm I'm not too sure about that. Yeah. Uh which well, is I, again I love that. I love that idea of being very realistic, saying, Yeah. You know, you probably will, but things change when you go home.
1: Well, and, and I also think it was not all of us are going to make it out of here. You know, oh, I didn't even, but, oh, I didn't, you know, even take it in maybe that. I will, maybe I won't, maybe they will, maybe they will. And, you know, like you said, and then in, in addition to the part that things may change, not everyone comes home.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that had never occurred to me. Uh, the, the, that was the read on it. But yes, of course, because you can't assume necessarily in a war zone that everybody's going to get out of this. So Yeah. And then, uh, and then Cleet uh, does a bit from the um, pre-op where he talks about the enemy, which likes to attack at dawn, did just that. And he's kind of pushed out of the way by radar carrying a litter. And, uh, and then we see the, we see everybody operating and that's the end of act two. And then we come back for the bumper, which was some voiceover where Hawkeye says, uh, a war is like when it rains in New York and everybody crowds into doorways and everybody huddles together. They get chummy, perfect strangers, except in a war um, there, uh, there are people, it's raining on the street and the people who are chumming over there are trying to kill the people over here who are chums. And, uh, we after, and then there's this, just a series of little bits from everybody. There's Potter reiterating where he says, these guys aren't soldiers, they're doctors. BJ says, I'm a terribly misassigned civilian clinger says they give back life. Can you do better? And then Raider does that really where somebody would tell the people back home this. And then uh, Mulcahy says, uh, somehow, I just pray somehow that it will all make sense. And then we end with Hawkeye saying, it's crazy. And the final shot of the episode, strangely enough, we see our four doctors, and then there's a extra running by, and the camera stops as they're practically filling the screen in a blur. And it's a very, very unusual way to end the show. But again, it gives it that verisimilitude that – that's what a documentary footage would look like it's not a pretty shot right. it's chaotic and weird and even and, kind of yes. unattractive looking that this extra is blocking the screen away from our stars
1: and, and and that was my thought exactly i'm sure they said you know you know when you look back what it would all be a blur you know some things i remember some things i don't because it was so chaotic so crazy so in the in the parlance of the the production the hard cut stuff you know, your memory's probably almost hard cut at some point, too. <laughs> and said, it's just it's, it's just an amazing episode.
0: It's MASH really trusting its audience to follow along and to be okay with this hard change of format. I mean, again, I, as I said in the previous episode with, with Deluge, they're kind of priming the audience a little bit in that mm-hmm. episode with the intercutting of the documentary footage, the intercutting of the newsreel footage. So they were maybe kind of getting you ready for this kind of interesting, you know, uh, editing choices and interesting directorial style, but this is jumping into the pool neck deep. And it, it really is the perfect melding of, of sort of the art, the, 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 the behind the camera part of it, the, 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 you know, setting up the structure and then allowing the actors, the room to come up with this, these brilliant observations. And we're going to talk about one of my, favorite observations of all time shortly, but it's it, it's such a trusting of the actors, and it's something that, I don't know, you couldn't have really done in season two. Not that McLean right. Stevenson or Wayne Rogers could not have handled it, but just the show needed extra time to grow and to deepen, and it needed almost season, all of season four, with its experiments. Right. Uh, with the uh, Covada's Captain Chandler and the Hawkeye yes. episode and Deluge, to kind of get the audience ready that we're going to try and bust the form a little bit and now we're really going to shatter it with this episode.
1: Right exactly and and again like you said they also engendered the trust of the of the of the network. Yeah. Like we talked about before. They they had they built a lot of trust up you know through their four seasons they couldn't have done that in season 1 season 2 season 3. Yeah. This 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 had to be here and at the end of season 4 also like you said.
0: Yeah. I mean it's
1: a, it really
0: is it's so impressive that that Mash is you know, willing is is not uh, talking down to you. You know, it's it's asking you to lean in a little bit and and really follow along. And it's just over time, its legend has only grown. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were articles. You know, there was an article in the AV Club, but like not even all that long ago, just about like maybe five, ten years ago, mentioning this episode. And of course, now with modern television, you've got shows like The Office and Modern Family that did the documentary. Yes. I mean, everyone's yes. used to it now.
1: And, and this this episode. Even amongst MASH episodes, this one really holds up. Like, like, it, it is almost timeless to me because of that. Because we're familiar with the sort of a structure like that now, that documentarian type thing. But, but it, it just holds up so well to me as I watch it. Again, I, I watched it twice, I think, again, in, in prep for this. And, you know, having not seen it for a while, I watched it twice again. And it just, again, it engaged me. I sat there and I heard things I didn't hear before, even though I'd heard them many times and look at things different. You can still watch it. And I I have other shows and other episodes of shows that I love that I would put among my favorite of all time. But this one in particular for me still holds up just as well as the first time I saw it, if not better. Whereas some you see them the first time they're great. And then maybe they, well, over time, there's things that this one held up for me.
0: Yeah, completely. And it moves very fast. Yes, it Considering does. Considering that it is just all talking heads, uh, it's over before you know it. Uh, I think just because all the observation, and yeah. the editing, the rhythm of the editing, the fact that they were cutting between everybody back and forth and the, the questions are so interesting.
1: And, and, and again, that technique fit right in with the, the construction of the episode, what they're trying to, trying to do, which, again, we're so used to seeing these things now, but that was uh, so unusual at that time for television scripted so to speak weekly television i would
0: love to see and I've, I've mentioned this in other episodes like i would love to see uh some mash reruns with like the original commercials
1: oh still on I, there oh, and it's like can too. you
0: imagine watching something like this with it's it's these these sort of really trenchant observations and then cutting away to like rice aroni ads like just yeah. the jarring <laughs> nature yeah. of it this had to be so strange of like Oh, okay, let's let's uh <laughs> let's sell you some Virginia slims in between, you know, yeah, <laughs> Hawkeye talking about uh, you know, at least you could have called me a son of a bitch. He's done it for others, you know. Meanwhile, here's a word from Westinghouse. Like-
1: well, it, well what you're saying is exactly for me why I think it holds up so well too. Because I you know, I I I grew up like you. I was a child in the seventies and I remember those TV shows and I love them. And I can watch them now. What they don't do is make me think. Mm-hmm. I can watch this can still make me think and, and it, so it, it does it is set apart and it would have been a very very different thing from the ads at that time which were mostly constructed to even if you had a drama it was Kojak I mean right. it's, <laughs> it's a procedural you know I mean it's not like it's where you're really engaged in a, in a cognitive process and thinking through things and multiple plot lines and it wasn't like that like many shows are now you know it was just pretty straightforward. This still makes you think and it still, it made you think and it still makes you think.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I know how television advertising works, I know that uh, advertisers don't really buy uh, time in specific episodes. They just sort of buy blocks where right. they say, you know, I want to buy time in this and time in that. But I have to wonder if some of the material that mash dealt with and in some of the formats, I have to wonder some of the advertisers were like, Hmm. Let's no, <laughs> let's not do that one. Let's can we buy time and Mary Tyler Moore? Let's do that. Let's let's not do MASH this week. Wait a minute, there's no script for this one. Nah, let's, let's not do yeah. this one. We'll again. hold off here. CBS can run some promos or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it said it. it is just it's a brilliant episode, and uh, I mean, it's to me it's so brilliant that um again, as I mentioned the, the 30th anniversary special, they devote like a, like a chunk of the the special to just this episode. Yeah. Uh, most of the other shows just kind of get grouped. In, in, a, in a you know larger sense of like, oh yeah, let's talk about the seasons. But then there's a couple that they pick out and this is one of the ones they pick out to specifically talk about because it was so memorable. And in fact, it was so memorable that they, that they couldn't quite resist not doing a sequel. And of course in season seven, they did Our Finest Hour, which was a, a clip show, but they framed it with bringing Cleet right. Roberts back and interviewing yes. the actors once again. And this time Loretta Swit did get involved and so did David Ogden Sears, but I mean that's how good the idea was that they couldn't resist trying it one more time. Yeah,
1: and, and again, I don't know if they knew that it would work as well as it did, but like you said, it had to be brought back. I, I I've got a question for you. You know, you and I have talked about before about this idea of being mash as a comedy with, with dramatic beats, or is it really a drama with comedic beats? And how do you feel where do you feel this episode fits into that and how?
0: Yeah, I would say in, in by season four, mash is a drama with comedy. Totally agree. Yeah,
1: and and, and to me that that's emphasized by the fact there was no laugh track, yeah. and how there were comedic beats. I mean, Frank's stuff was funny. <laughs> uh, Hawk, some of Hawkeye stuff was funny. There there was funny stuff in there, but to me this was this was a dramatic episode yeah. w- without it's, a doubt.
0: Yeah, Mash hit so many heavy topics, especially this season. That yeah, you could argue it's it was a it was a half hour drama with some comedy in it. The show would kind yeah. of morph its way back into more comedy yes. in later seasons, but for season four, at least they were, they were really heavy, leaning heavily on the, on the drama. Now, despite all that, uh, I do have to ask you, Scott, what your favorite line or joke was from this. Well, episode.
1: you mentioned my favorite. And I don't know why I found this so hilarious, but I just did. And it was, and, and, and I think it was the line itself, but how it was delivered. And it was, I firmly believe that marriage is the headstone of American (laughs) society. And then he he was just so serious about that. I laughed out loud. I've seen that a hundred times and this time. That was the one that just got me. And I laughed out loud because it was just so Frank being oblivious as he's messing around with Margaret still in this season four. And then, but he's saying how, you know, everyone knows how they feel about me and you know, marriage is such an important thing in American society. He just it's just Frank encapsulated. It was hilarious to
0: me. Yeah, Linville just complete, <laughs> he did such a great job. And he just
1: nailed it. I mean every time on his things he nailed
0: it. Yeah, it's un it's unreal. Uh my favorite line is uh from Alan Alda where he is asked if he brought any creature coverts with him. And Hawkeye says, The dictionary. I figure it's got all the other books in it. I, I remember being like, There's no way Alan Alda came up with that line because that line feels eternal. It is so brilliant. So like almost Dada in, in it's what you know, like it's like church of the sub genius kind of thing Yeah, that I, I just couldn't believe as much as Alan Alda is brilliant and we know that he is, I just couldn't believe that that line did not just exist in the culture and Hawkeye just borrowed it. And that, so not I mean that line is funny because of course you're like, yeah, of course it, I mean, it doesn't. Of course, it doesn't have all the other books in it, but it also kind of does too. It has all the words. It has all the words in, in all the Yeah. Books, so. Um. But it. But that might me make on when I and back when I had my mash blog, I would do the bit about my favorite line, and I mentioned this was my favorite line, uh-huh. and I wrote that line is so brilliant, I almost can't believe that Alan Aldo or and or Larry Gelbart wrote it. It seems like something that just existed in the culture, and that inspired no less than Larry Gelbart to come on my blog and leave a comment about oh what God. I wrote. And I can remember when I posted <laughs> uh, that one day, uh, all of a sudden, because I would get little notifications, and it would say, you've got a new comment. And it would say, you've got a new comment from Larry Gelbart. And um, I would,
1: what? You jaw hit yeah, yeah. And,
0: and Larry Gelbart was very nice. And he said, in fact, Alan Alda came up with that line. That is Alan Alda's. And I'm like, that is so crazy brilliant that it makes me think of Alan Alda in a whole new way. I mean, I already love the guy, but just the fact that he came
1: up with, like – Well, and, and like you uh, said, to me, I've heard that before. I, mean, we, I remember people saying that when I was in school, but it came from there, apparently. It from MASH. It went, in my time, in your time frame, we used to watch MASH. It was on every day. It was either on right after the nightly news or right before it when I was growing up, or both, perhaps. So we watched MASH every night. At my house, every single night, the reruns. Every night we watched it, so I'm sure that filtered into my lexicon as well. And and I never thought about the fact that it wasn't just always around, and that's fantastic. Yeah, Larry Gelbart cleared it up on uh, your blog, which is even better. I mean, that's awesome. I could not believe
0: that Larry Gilbert even bothered to read my little blog. And he actually provided a second piece of information is that he did mention Loretta Swit was off doing a play. That's why she's not in the show. So yeah. oh wow. And I mean that's the only interaction I ever had with him. But I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that even for one moment, Larry Gilbart had time in his day to read my <laughs> stupid rumblings about MASH. I just How did we know that
1: Hollywood Rob Kelly was going to strike even that early on? That those were just the signs.
0: Oh, my just... Lord. I can't. I just can't believe it. So not only do I think the line is just so crazy brilliant, but the fact that it instigated an interaction between me and Larry Gobert is just i'm like i'll never forget it i mean it's just like one of the great you know sort of like fan moments of my life so all,
1: all that all that kind of reminds me of my other favorite line here too i want to say it. and you had mentioned it also before when bj said he was a temporarily reassigned civilian right <laughs> i love i loved how he used sort of that reassigned a military phraseology to describe himself as a civilian and i can something i loved about that too
0: yeah, I mean, he said it's it's like yeah, I'm a captain technically, but I'm
1: not really. Yeah, not really.
0: Yeah, I said it's just an. It, it the the show is so altogether brilliant and so again, as Larry Gobert said, are artful in its artlessness that you just yeah you're you're sort of almost dumbfounded. You know, you're just like I can't believe a show, a sitcom, would do this and pull it, and not only try it but pull it off so brilliantly. And wrap the season up with it on top of it, like you know, not, to not even like hold your hand and maybe give you like a more traditional episode on the way out the door, it, but to kind of like really, you know, like <laughs> you know,
1: leave the knife in the wall and then just walk out and like yeah. see people in September. You know? Well, and it, for Larry Gelbart, it was mic drop. Oh, I mean, man. It, it was. I'm not back, and he didn't. Gene Reynolds sort of came back his you know, creative consultant. He had different roles. Yep. Larry Gelbart was it. That was it. Yep. He didn't write anymore, didn't direct anymore, did not creatively, was not involved with it anymore. And, and he, he talked about that in interview, too, where he said, my thing was, I, I didn't know to do anything but too much. And I, and I couldn't, I wouldn't be back in that role. I was ready to do other things, and I was going to put everything into that. And, 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 and again, so like you said, mic drop. And, and, and sort of, that was an add-on episode, that, sort of, that was, a, oh, kind of one of those ideas we've been milling around for a while. And yeah. it's bam. Yeah. I mean,
0: I I could imagine that after you've written this, what's there to write? Yeah. You know, like you're like, what what am I going to come up with after this? You know, what, yeah. what's there left for me to do? So yeah, I could see why you would just be like, yeah, I think we're, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm done at this point. It's just uh it's just unbelievable. So it's a completely brilliant episode. It's one of the, you know, certainly one of the, a great way to end the season uh, I think Mash generally had very good season enders. They kind of really mm-hmm. worked on it. To, to one, I mean, obviously, last season was Abyssinia Henry. So they were kind of priming the audience for uh, really getting a kick in the shins yep.
1: uh, exactly as the shows wrap the season yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, so
0: it's just a terrific show. And uh I mean, Scott, I'm always happy to have you on and talk Mash. But I, I'm, it's really fun now, kind of wrapping up the seasons with you. So thank you once again for coming oh, by pleasure. and wrapping up Mash guest uh, season four with
1: me. I, I always enjoy doing it. I'm looking forward to, to next season and the, oh, and the upcoming seasons too. Oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Rob who does 50 podcasts and yeah. stuff. X who guest, guest stars on a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Committing <laughs> me to another whole season. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, because you know, you, well, we'll talk about that off air, but you know I have a couple that I still – I still have a couple itches that I need to have scratched with mash on there
0: too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, in the meantime, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internets?
1: Well, I have appeared here on the Fire & Water Podcast Network on a number of shows um, in, in addition to this one, including Midnight, the Podcasting Hour, the Film & Water Podcast, Gimme Star Trek, Fire & Water Team-Up, Power Records Podcast, JLA, <laughs> JLI, Bwahaha Podcast, and Fade Out. Um, okay. I've also appeared on an episode of DCOCD um, with Paul Hicks and Mike Garvey, which was loads of fun. Uh, beyond that, you can find me on Twitter. Um, um, I'm usually spamming up someone's feed on Saturday nights. i watching Sven and doing a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, riff tracks sort of with that, which which I find lots of fun. And for those interested, uh, Rob joins us every now and again and, and, and contributes to all the the fun. So mm-hmm. that's where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at some point, I'm going to do a little bit more content on there. I have some thoughts and ideas, uh, but. Um, it's just as always. It's a competition for time, which Rob, I know you understand so well. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, I can understand that. So wait, you did a you did a podcast that's not part of the Fine Water
1: Podcast Network. Yes, is that' what you guys. Yes, talking? only one, only one. Apparently, you guys are the only ones that will have me, and I'm very proud of that. So
0: this is very awkward, Scott. We're gonna have to talk about this one. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah. Again, thank you once again, Scott. I really do appreciate it. So, uh, of course, if you want to find all the back episodes of this show, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to MASHCAST and any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter at MASH477CAST. And if you want to support the Findwater Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute. As we wrap up season four to Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Britt Schramm, Mike Thomas, Michael Porter, and new patron, Joe Perino. You imagine you get it in just under the wire, Joe. I very much appreciate <laughs> it. But uh, of course, as I said, this is the uh, final traditional episode of MASHcast for season four. I will be back in a couple of weeks with the normal MASHcast mail call. Well, We'll read some mail over the course of the previous season. I will rank the season four episodes. That's going to be tough.
1: It's going to be really
0: tough because there's a lot of good shows, but I'm going to try and do it. And we'll, you know, kind of uh, tie up some other loose odds and ends uh, as we wrap up season four. And I will, of course, make the official announcement asking about guests for season five, but wait until the mail call episode (laughs) comes out in a couple of weeks. We will get it in then everybody. Uh, Rob
1: doesn't want another deluge. That's not an episode title. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't want
0: that quite yet. Look, hey, I'm very fortunate that uh, the people like the show. They listen to it. They comment about it. And I have more guests than I can find space for in any given season. That is, that is a problem to have when you are a podcaster. And I'm very, very, very fortunate that, so many people enjoy this show the way they do, and they want to be part of it. It means the world to me. And I always feel bad that not everybody can be involved in any given season because we just have just – there's only 24 shows. But, but uh, but again, yeah, we're going to – we'll make the official announcement uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks about the, about season five. So stay tuned, everybody. Just wait a couple of weeks. And the mail call episode will show up. But that's really going to do it for the uh, episode recaps from MASHCast. So, yeah, that's... Oh, oh I think we got
1: to go. I hear the choppers. Yeah, we got to get <laughs> out of here.
0: Absolutely. So, so uh, again, until the mail call episode, that is all. Some of their saltier comments have been deleted.